Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to another episode of the Disruptive Entrepreneur. Self-worth is net worth. Six simple steps. Now, before I share the six simple steps to creating higher self-worth, which I believe directly creates higher net worth, just want to say it's a bit of a, a special day, really, in many respects, because it was five years ago today that I first met Lord Sugar, Lord Alan Sugar. Those of you who are UK-based, obviously, you'll know him from being the, the, the host of The Apprentice. And he certainly, over the years, has been one of my inspirations and idols as a businessman and entrepreneur. And it was five years ago to the day that he was the keynote speaker at the Progressive Property Super Conference. And I, I built and developed a relationship with him. Now, for me as a businessman and entrepreneur and someone who loves to grow, I see that meeting people who are successful in the area you're striving to make a difference in, I see that as a great honor. I see that as a necessary thing to grow. I see it as a way to gauge or have a barometer of your levels of growth and success, because when you're worth five pence, you're not going to be hanging around with people who are worth five billion uh, and so as you become more successful and make a difference and, and have a higher self-worth and net worth, you will be attracted to and you will meet people with a higher self-worth and net worth because uh, we all are attracted to people who are like us and at a similar level to us. And you just wouldn't be in the circles they are or they wouldn't entertain being around you if you were at a much lower level than them. So see it as a, a measure of your growth. Always have a goal or a challenge as, as a disruptive entrepreneur to seek out really successful people in all areas of life, especially the areas you want to be great at and you live on purpose, on your purpose towards. And my guess is business entrepreneurship, growth and innovation is that, otherwise you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Also today, so it's five years ago today that I met Lord Sugar for the first time, which kickstarted me meeting a lot of millionaires and billionaires and becoming friends with many of them. Also, I'm going to be interviewing Gerald Ratner, uh, the rise and fall and rise again of Gerald Ratner. Now, his autobiography, and I, I must have read that seven years ago, I guess, really inspired me. Uh, obviously, he had Ratners, the jewellers. It was huge in the UK, I believe in the 90s, early 2000s, maybe. And then he had a little bit of a gaffe and it was totally accidental. And he got completely crucified by the, the press and the media in the UK because he used one slightly demeaning word for his products and services. And I felt he was unfairly lynched by the media. And I found it really inspiring to, to read an autobiography from someone who was very honest and, and really was forced to make a brand out of their mistakes because how else do you rise again if you've made a gaffe that really was not your fault and not really fair to break your business, broke your business. And so um, in preparation for the podcast I'm going to be doing with him, uh, when I say today, I mean today, as in you'll be listening, it'll probably be in a week or two's episode, but my today, I recommend you uh, grab his autobiography and read that in preparation uh, for that podcast, because it really did make a huge difference to me. Because, you know, we probably all have fears of getting knocked down as a businessman, an entrepreneur, businesswoman, thought leader, innovator. 
you know, you put yourself out there, you take risks. And there's all sorts of people on social media or people who don't really know much about you who are prepared to have a pop or a chip at you. And uh, yeah, you, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve as a business person and you want to make a difference. And, you know, your self-worth is probably linked to that. And so for, for someone to go through that so publicly and get up again and create a new business in a new industry and then go back into the same industry again in a more innovative way online, I, I found so motivating, empowering. I, it really gave me a lift in terms of my self-belief. So please do grab his autobiography and watch out for the podcast with Gerald Ratner. It'll be called The Rise and Fall and Rise Again Interview with Gerald Ratner. Okay, so let's now go to the subject of self-worth is net worth. Now, I think a lot of people think that self-worth is an absolute, i.e. you have high self-worth or you have low self-worth or or whatever your level of self-worth is. Now, I disagree with that because I don't think self-worth is holistic and absolute. I think that self-worth is different in different areas of your life. So where you've owned your life, where you're a master, where you've dedicated, honoured and served in the area of highest value to you, studied and um, committed a lot of time and you have passion and desire and enthusiasm over, you're inspired to do without it really feeling like work, you will have spontaneous and natural self-worth in that area. You know, if, you, if you're in a pub quiz and you know that you've um, done a thousand quizzes and you know that you know all the answers, you're going to be confident, you're going to puff your chest out like you, are, you own this quiz. And, and conversely, if like me, uh, you're maybe not great at yoga, so um, I'm not particularly Zen, I'm trying to be more Zen, um, but you know, I, I find meditation takes too long and it's too slow and I'm too impatient. When will this be over? So um, if you were to see me do anything Zen-like, like for example, yoga, uh, you'd see me cue at the back, I'd, um, I'd have my mat kind of, uh, my body language would be really low and I'd kind of want to go at the back of the class where no one could see me and I could barely touch my knees, let alone my toes. And I don't know if you've ever seen a baby horse being born trying to walk for the first time. Well, that would be my self-worth in yoga. Now, that's not because I am a, an unworthy person with no confidence or esteem. It's because I've never done yoga before. And there's all these people who've done it and they're brilliant and they're elegant and graceful. They're like a dolphin. I'm like, a, a you know, some kind of baby donkey. And, uh, and I look at them and I pedestalize them and I think, wow, aren't they great? And, and I can attach a low self-worth to that. But that doesn't make me a low self-worth person. So I think when you compartmentalize self-worth, i.e. you realize the things you've studied, owned, mastered, you're passionate about, you know, areas of business. For example, that marketing was the thing I loved in business at first, and I felt really confident in that area. When I, when I started public speaking for the first time, I was an absolute disaster at it. If you'd have seen my first ever speech, you wouldn't be listening to this anymore because you'd have thought I was an absolute idiot because I was so bad at it. But I knew that was a part of business I had to embrace and try and master and serve because I knew that could give me greater reach. So, you know, maybe if you'd have seen me speak five or 10 years later, maybe you'd have been inspired. I hope that you'd have been inspired. I certainly sharpened my skills and learned from the best speakers in the world. Craig Valentine, for example, I did all of Chris Howard and Tony Robbins speaker courses I could get my hands on and listen to uh, some amazing public speaking trainers like Patricia Fripp, etc. And as I learned more, my self-worth increased. In fact, I'm going to do a public speech today uh, with Gerald Ratner and uh, yeah, feeling really excited about that and, and, not, and, and, and my self-worth is good in that area. So why am I saying this to you? I'm saying because when you detach your identity of self-worth away 
and you just realise that you're great in the areas that you've focused on being great at and you're not in the areas that you haven't. And, um, you know, your self-worth will vary across those different niches and areas. And that's okay. And that doesn't make you a bad or good person. I believe that augments your overall self-worth. Uh, and you allow yourself to be vulnerable in the things that you're not great at yet and you honour and respect and are humble to the people who are great, your mentors, coaches, trainers, and you, and you get your ego and your fear and your vulnerability out of the way. And by the same token, when you've got a high self-worth in, a, in an area that you honour that, you stay humble, you share that with other people to build their self-worth in that area, then I think that, that you become a stronger, more balanced person with, an, with a higher overall self-worth. So remember that you can be, do or have anything that you want. You just have to honour and focus on it. Now, I believe there are six simple steps to increasing your self-worth. And I genuinely believe that self-worth is net worth. Because if you have low self-worth and you have guilt, for example, and money comes your way, uh, you will throw that money away in whatever way you do it, overspending, giving it away to charity, you know, not hold on, holding on to it, not investing properly, because you're trying to get rid of the guilt. So if money is guilt then the only way to get rid of guilt is to get rid of money. And so you may be able to attract lots of money in your life, but always giving it away, trying to get rid of the guilt. And that's linked to self-worth. Just like if, you're, if you have high self-worth in sales and marketing, you have no problem attaching high and valuable and fair prices to your products and services because you're confident in yourself. And so that will reflect in the money that comes to you and you'll attract more money. And then when your fees are higher, you attract better customers who value you higher because you value you higher. And in turn, that'll have a, a like a virtuous cycle effect of attracting better customers at higher margin with a lower, lower overhead and lower, have it, lower customer service. You know, so maybe you'd be the upper class of the airline industry rather than maybe the lower sort of Ryanair example. So self-worth really is net worth. And um, to be able to really increase your net worth in your business and enterprise, uh, you have to increase your self-worth. They're totally linked. And I believe the six steps to do that are relatively simple, but also kind of there's, there's deep complication uh, or, or, or layers over your upbringing that maybe cloud those. So the first step of increasing your self-worth in business, entrepreneurship and life is to allow yourself to love yourself, i.e. you are worthy, i.e. you are good enough, you deserve uh, high fees, you deserve good net profit margins, you deserve all the credit that you get and uh, you are worthy of love and adulation and praise of others. You should be able to thank them and be grateful for that and allow them to give you that. Because if you don't allow people to give you the gift of love, appreciation, etc., because you're overly humble or you don't think that you deserve it and you're not worthy of it, you ruin their desire and opportunity to do that. And therefore, you don't allow more of it in because if you can't gratefully receive, no one will give. And a lot of people don't love themselves because they have a lot of guilt, fear, shame. You know, maybe they're holding on to things in the past that they felt bad for. You know, maybe if you've ever wronged someone, I know that there's a couple of things in my life that I feel that, you know, if I could go back to that place and do it again, I'd do it differently. And, and I've held, held a lot of uh, guilt around that. Little things, like I remember there was this uh, young lad called Andrew Hobley who used to uh, be at school. And um, in some areas of school, he wasn't great and he got bullied a little bit, as did I. But actually, I remember he was brilliant. Uh, uh, he was the one, only one guy at school um, who could really tackle well in rugby. And he was like this skinny little kid. 
And I was really overweight at school, but I could never get past him. He could always tackle me really easily. And, um, and I really realised that, you know, he was great at that. But because I was bullied at school, I felt like I needed to do anything to, to get love from the other kids. And there was one time we were on a school bus trip where uh, everyone was kind of ganging up on him a bit. And, uh, you know, maybe they were punching him a bit and maybe they were just being a bit cruel to him. Uh, and I remember I got involved in that because I just, not because I didn't like him, because I did. But it was because um, it was because everyone else was. And I felt like I was getting love by doing that. And I felt guilt for that for like 20 years of my life. And I remember we added each other on Facebook one time and I sent him a message and saying, hey, look, mate, you know, I thought you were great. And I, I felt really awful about that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't know what I was doing. I was doing the best with what I, what I knew at the time. And I'm sure he forgave me for that. And uh, it's such a little thing. Maybe he didn't even remember it. I'm sure saying that now all of my other school friends don't even remember it. But the point is, I held on to that for 15 or 20 years. And, um, and I felt a lot of guilt and shame around that. And uh, here's the thing. I was not owning the parts of the lessons in that. And the only way I can really move forward from that event is to learn to love myself at the time and know that I had foibles and weaknesses too. And I was just doing the best with what I could at the time. Now, you've probably done things in business, maybe let down clients or customers, or maybe got a little bit angry with staff members or not controlled your emotions very well, or you didn't listen to good counsel and you re released a product or a service or or dealt with um, you know performance management of a a staff member in, 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 a, in maybe not the best way, but uh, you're, you're not allowing yourself to love yourself for who you are and you're, and you're feeling that guilt and fear and shame around that. You have to let that go. You have to love yourself. You're the only person that can truly love you properly. Other people will not be able to love you if you can't love yourself. Now, I know you might think I'm sounding a little bit hippie. I'm talking about being a disruptive entrepreneur, but you have to be able to love yourself. But you do. You really do. You are great. And um, you can really contribute across the planet and help your customers and clients and create a great team. And obviously, you, the more people you hire, the more people are reliant on you. But if you don't love yourself for your strengths and allow yourself to be vulnerable for your weaknesses, and it's okay to have weaknesses and it doesn't make you a bad person, you can still love yourself for those two, then you allow that to come into your life in the form of high profit margin, lower overhead, great customers who respect your time, great uh, brand, a partnership, strategic alliances, joint ventures, etc. Now, this leads on to number two. Uh, and really, you have to go through the exercise of number two to be able to do number one. And so number two is forgiving yourself for all the mistakes you perceive that you've made in your life that you're holding on to and you can't let go of and that you're uh, demeaning yourself worth because of. We've all made vast numbers of cock-ups. Now, that's okay because that's part of being a human being because you don't know what you don't know. It's part of being an entrepreneur. And if you're an American listener, you'll know that your failures are a big part of your story and your failures are a big part of what makes you an investable entrepreneur. And in fact, many VCs will tell you that if you've uh, never failed in business, maybe that doesn't make you that investable. If you failed once, that makes you pretty investable. If you failed two or three times, that makes you highly investable. And, you know, for us English listeners or, or people whose cultures are more like England, there's kind of an, an irony to that, isn't there? That the more we've failed uh, to a degree, the more investable we are. So it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to own them. It's good to own them. And it can be part of your story because no one wants, no, no one believes anyone who says they've never made any mistakes. A great story as an entrepreneur, an investor, uh, a business owner, because really, you know, people buy your products and services because they buy your story. And um, if part of your story are the mistakes you've made, it makes you more of a real approachable person. If people know you're always learning and growing and trying to do the best you can, but you're open and honest with your vulnerabilities and mistakes, then you have a better brand because of it. 
but you have to forgive yourself for those that you made and not make not attach it to your overall self-worth, i.e. don't say, I am a bad person, I am a failure, I am these mistakes. All that happens is you did the best with what you could at the time. You, you had the courage to try something. You had the courage to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough that the very thing that you risked could make you great, could also make you a complete failure. I, I have this quote, this belief, this saying that people will hate about you the very things that are great about you. So forgive yourself for those. Just know you did the best with what you could at the time. Sometimes I want to go and say sorry to all the clients and customers that I may not have served as best I could. Uh, but all I can really do is forgive me for that and understand that at that time I, I didn't have the ability to serve them as best I could. And all I, all I can really do that's best is to learn from that and honour that and take that feedback and put my ego away and listen to that feedback and hopefully create a better service, you know, a better product for my next round of customers or clients that I allow to me. Okay, so number three then, which is linked to number two, which is linked to number one, is you have to forgive other people for what you perceive they wronged of you. You know, forgiving your parents for maybe bringing you up in a way that you felt didn't serve you, even though they did the best with what they knew at the time. And, you know, the world was a different place back then. You know, forgive your competitors who maybe you felt wronged you. Forgive people who, who created lawsuits against you. Forgive partners who you felt really wronged you or outed you on social media or created videos or campaigns against you. Now, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because you really feel that they've, they're wronging you and they are wrong. But again, they don't see that, do they? They think that they're right. They're only doing the best with what they know. And when you go back through those people that you've held negative energy towards, uh, that, that has probably taken up a lot of your mind space and you forgive them in your mind or even thank them or even write to them and say, hey, look, you know, thanks for everything we did together. When you do that, you, you, you create a lot of time that you can invest in marketing, sales, growing your business, leadership, creating products and services like podcasts or like Facebook pages that really deliver value to your clients and customers. And um, an example for that for me was my very first non-familial boss. So my dad was uh, my boss uh, when I was a pub landlord with him. Then when he got ill, I was the bu- that I ran the pub with my mum. And I guess really she was the boss, although she was a different kind of boss. And we had her ups and downs, but, you know, that's family. But my first real boss that was not a family boss was a, a chap uh, called Terry, actually. Now, um, he's, taught, he's written about a lot in Mark Homer's book, Low Cost High Life. My business partner wrote a brilliant book called Low Cost High Life. I thoroughly recommend you getting that on Audible uh, or on Amazon. Now, Mark didn't want to mention his name because he was a little bit worried of maybe the sort of, I wouldn't call it defamation, but he didn't really, really want to publicly um, humiliate or, or downgrade someone because Mark shared a lot of the, the, the downsides of, of this boss. But I think I can share his name because I'm going to do the opposite. Now, Terry was the first person outside of my family business who gave me a real shot. And uh, we kind of had a parting of ways, which wasn't the best. I was setting up my company whilst I was still in the employment of him. Now, I had a lot of guilt around that, but that's what everyone does. You know, everyone does that. You know, when you're in your current position and you're thinking about your new position, you're thinking about it in your mind while you're in your your old position because most people don't have the courage or aren't stupid enough to take the risk to never think about it, quit their thing and then spend months or years planning their new thing and then do their new thing because that because that bridge, that, that crossover point between your old career and your new business, you're not earning any money. So I forgave myself for that because everyone does that and, and I'm just human. But I, I was a bit dumb about it because I planned this new business, Progressive Property 
property while I was in the employment of Terry. And I did it on uh, work computers and I was very specific about the plans and he found out about that because he got tipped off by uh, one of his friends and partners. And um, I don't think he dealt with it in the best way. He got really emotional about it. He fired us pretty quickly, uh, which I'm very grateful for, by the way, because had he not fired us, then we wouldn't have progressive property. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be a multimillionaire had he fired us. I would not be doing all the things in my life that I love had he not fired us, maybe. So I'm really grateful for the fact that he got very over-emotional and fired us. But he did get over-emotional. And, um, you know, we, we went to him with those business models that he ultimately fired us for pursuing. Uh, and I felt that he didn't treat us very fairly. And I felt that, um, you know, we gave him a chance to be a partner in those business models. And those business models were really great for us. And, and, and his journey wasn't so great for him. And then when he fired us, he did it in a really emotional way. And I felt like he was really wronging me because, you know, he was, he said, you're not getting any of the commissions you're owed. He didn't say it like that. He said, you're getting nothing out of me. And and I felt it was really nasty to Mark. And so we went back to see him. Uh, he changed all the locks on the, you know, in the office and he battened down the hatches. And uh, when we went to see him, we had this massive row. And, you know, I told him in no uncertain terms what I thought of him. And I really protected Mark. And, uh, you know, I really felt like he'd wronged us. He really, really felt like uh, we'd wronged him. And uh, I suppose if... If you were looking at it from the employer's point of view, you'd see the, the, the difficulties he was having to go through. If you looked at it from the employee, employee's point of view, you'd see the difficulties we had to go through. Anyway, as time has gone on, uh, I've let go of that. I've forgiven myself for the things I perceived I did wrong and stupidly. I've forgiven him for the things I perceived that he didn't maybe do for us that I liked at the time. But actually, when I look at it now more nostalgically or maybe in a more balanced view, he was the first person gay who gave me a shot when I didn't have a CV and I didn't have any properties and I'd never been in a proper business. And um, when he was good, he was great. And when he was on fire, he was really on fire. And he made you, made, you, made you feel really great and he made you feel that you really could do something. And he got really excitable when he was in, you know, he was maybe a bit inconsistent, but, you know, I'm talking about the upsides here. And so I'd really like to say thank you to Terry if he is listening in um, that, uh, you know, were it not for you, there were a lot of things in my career and life I'd not been able to do. And um, I forgive myself for all the mistakes I made. And I forgive you for some of the things maybe you did, which maybe you hold remorse towards. And um, so when you forgive other people for what you perceive they've wronged of you, then you let go of that and you're able to move forward and you, you free a lot of time in your life. Now, those things I perceived he wronged of me, he maybe doesn't perceive he wronged of me and vice versa. So it's all a perception anyway. So why are we holding on to it and letting it have energy and carrying it forward into our new relationships with partners? Because what you don't want to do is look at someone and go, oh, well, that was just like my past boss or that person is just like my past boss and, and, and dismiss it by assuming that it is like it was because you saw one common theme when it's probably nothing like it. So when you hold on to the pain, the past events and the things that were that maybe you perceive to be wrong, you actually uh, hinder your progress moving forward because you, you carry that forward into an event where you're assuming it is a certain way when it's not. No one I'll ever meet is like him. No one that he'll ever meet is like me. We're all individuals. And if we can go from event to event or partner to partnership, yes, we learn from things we, we did in the past or that happened to us, but we have more of a balanced and open-minded view. I think that that really serves you as an entrepreneur and, and it serves you growing your business and helping your clients and customers. And so therefore, number four links to number three, which links to number two, which links to number one, is seeing the upside and the lessons in all the difficulties and challenges you face in your life so far in business. So I believe you earn or you learn, which means uh, you do pretty well. You make money out of some kind of business venture. And uh, therefore, that's good. 
But if you don't make money out of it, you make a bit of a loss or it doesn't go very well, uh, you learn. There are things in which you can learn, which you can carry forward into your next venture or enterprise. So what are all the upsides and the lessons in the difficulties that you're enduring or you've endured? Because what most people see is the downside. They have a, a, a fantasy, a, um, a one-sided delusion, if you like, that everything is difficult in the challenge, whereas there is probably at least 50% upside and 50, 50% lessons. And, and so what are the upsides in the challenges you're facing, which are demeaning your self-worth? So when you see the upside in the challenge, it increases your self-worth because it, A, you become more confident in your ability to see the upside and downside, which means you can have more of a balanced view, which means you can be more positive when you're feeling down, depressed, downtrodden. And when you're able to reframe that situation and get better at that quicker, it increases your self-worth and, and it puts you less in a place of depression or that feeling of being beaten or empty, which really damages your future because it's hard to be inspired and to take hour by hour, day by day and really attack that and, and make the most out of that time when you're feeling down about it. And when you look at the, the upside and downside and the challenge in the opportunity in challenge, uh, you become a better problem solver. And when you know you're a good problem solver, the problems that come away hurt you less and you see them as opportunities. And therefore you have real deep-rooted confidence in yourself, in your ability to make money. I do not fear recessions or crashes. I'm not saying they won't have downsides, but I can genuinely say I know that there's great opportunity in, in every recession or crash or correction or disruption in a business model. And so I really welcome those. I get excited by those. And that's something that's come with being a disruptive entrepreneur for sure, but, but learning to see the upside and the downside and understand that nothing is all good or all bad or all up or all down. Okay, number five then on increasing your self-worth, which increases your net worth, is continually working on developing learning about self-worth. So if you read and listen to audio programs on self-worth, I recommend highly Brene Brown on, on embracing vulnerability in your life. If you learn about money, if you learn about people who've made billions or multi-millions and, and how their self-worth has grown as their money has grown and their net worth has grown, and if you go on as many courses and seminars as you can from people who are millionaires or billionaires or who are disruptive entrepreneurs or who are making a difference or who are successful, what you realize is that there is a learnable system of self-worth, i.e. how to increase it. And the more you learn how to increase it, the more it increases and the more it becomes a, a virtuous cycle or a self-fulfilling prophecy. And one of the reasons I want to bring great interviews, you know, BJ Cunningham, Gerald Ratner and many millionaires and billionaires I'll be interviewing on this podcast series is because when I interview those and we unpick away what's made them great at what they do and their ups and downs, just like we'll learn with Gerald Ratner, it makes you love yourself more and, and value yourself more. I remember listening to the podcast Tim Ferriss did with Edward Norton. He was talking about how rubbish he is on email. He didn't say rubbish, but he said, you know, I really... Tim Ferriss asked him, well, what's your daily ritual for getting up in the morning? And, you know, how, do you, how are you productive, basically? And he said, well, I really wish I was a lot better at email. And, you know, I get, I get on email and, and I just get sucked into it. And, 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 he, and, and I, rem, I, I remember thinking, well, that's a really great thing to be honest about your vulnerabilities, your, what you're not good at. And, you know, an, an actor who's really inspired me. I mean, how great was he in Fight Club? How great was he in American History X? But, you know, he's also not really that great in other areas. And, um, you know, we're all constantly working on our self-worth, no matter how great we are. And often the greatest people in the world, they have to deal with augmented difficulties and challenges because it's in front of the world, because their brand is across millions of people. And so 
they're all working on their self-worth too, reading the books that we're all reading, listening to the audio books that we are to become better at that. So when you continually learn and uh, go on as many different programs, seminars, courses, try and wine, dine and network with millionaires and billionaires and successful people and really study it, it, it grows. And if you don't, then it decays. I really, you know, like I try and listen to about 200 audio books a year. And I was, I think it was 133 last year. Not that I'm counting. I'm very much a counter and a collector. I don't, I don't know where that came from. And uh, I know that when I have maybe a couple of weeks out, and whilst I love listening to music, when I have a couple of weeks out of learning self-development, I really feel it. And I really feel my life starting to decay a little bit in terms of my results. And as soon as I get it, get it back in the ears. Maybe if you've had a bit of a break from my podcast, you'll feel the same thing. So keep learning, developing and working on your self-worth specifically. And then number six, and I think this is possibly the most important because it's the, probably the, the easiest shortcut, the most impactful. And if you want to talk about get rich quick, what's really get rich quick, that isn't a schemey scammy get rich quick, this is it. Uh, really um, be careful and um, cognizant of who you spend your time with. So they say your network is your net worth. And whilst I have, this podcast is about self-worth being net worth, I really also agree that your network is your net worth. So be really hyper choosy on who you spend your time with. Please don't spend time with people who drag you down or who serve no purpose in helping you towards your mission and purpose. It doesn't make you an elitist or a bad person. If you don't want to spend time with people who don't propel you towards your mission and vision. It just means that 7 billion people on the planet, we can't hang out with everyone. And why don't we therefore choose to spend time with people who can help us get to our vision quicker, who can inspire us, who can make us want to be a better person, who can teach us stuff, who, who you know, we can be, maybe have as a mentor or in a mastermind group. Because it is said that you are the five people you spend the, the most time with. So if you spend time with people who are great in areas, who also have high self-worth in areas, that'll rub off on you the quickest. Uh, and therefore, your self-worth will be attached to your network, which is attached to your net worth. So remember, you're worthy of love and money. All the money that you want in your life and all the business success you want, you are worthy of that. If you follow the six steps to self-worth, which is one, allowing yourself to love yourself. Two is forgiving yourself for all the mistakes that you perceive you've made to yourself and others. Three is forgiving other people for what you perceive they wronged of you and others. Four is seeing all the upside in the downside and the challenge. Five is continually learning, developing, studying and growing and focusing on developing your net worth. Uh, and then six is choosing wisely and strategically the people you spend time with uh, and you network with. When you work on those, you will have higher self-worth, you'll have a higher net worth, you'll have more money, more business, you'll grow as a person and uh, never let anyone convince you that you can't. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's podcast on self-worth is net worth. I'd really be grateful if you could give me a review if you haven't already. Go to iTunes and review this podcast. I'd really be grateful if you could share this with others because I really want to help people. I'll never have sponsored ads or use this as a revenue generating tool. Not that that's bad, but I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and, and I, I get quite annoyed by the sponsored ads and I, I get that they must be getting paid a lot of money. But I make a lot of money anyway in my businesses. I don't need any more money. I've been financially free for many years. So this isn't a revenue generating exercise for me. And that doesn't make it bad if it is, but I just want to get, more, get out there to more people across the planet on helping you disrupt yourself and uh, your tired industries and help you grow as a business person, an entrepreneur, a go-giver. So if you feel that this could help other people too, then I'd be really honoured and grateful if you could share it with the people you love the most. 